You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more about this show, as well as my other podcast, How to Stand, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. There you'll find episode guides, as well as additional reading, more exclusive content, tons of great stuff. And never miss an update, an album review, interview, etc. by subscribing to the free newsletter, howtostand.substack.com. You could also become a paying subscriber on Substack, and that means you're supporting an independent creator and become part of a community, howtostand.substack.com. Enjoy the show! When asked about his love of art museums one day, RM from BTS mentioned that someone said, quote, You don't have to buy this painting. It's yours so long as you look at it. And he said that quote really stuck with him. Art is more accessible than you think it is. It's not just something for highfalutin elitists to enjoy. It's really something that I think truly anyone can own in a way. It's yours as long as you're looking at it. And truly the meaning in artwork is so profound because as I've said on the series of episodes called BT Study Guide, there really is so much about this world to appreciate that words fail to. I find language a very limiting medium, as weird as that sounds. But there are just so many things that, I've written about this on my Substack too, that there are just so many ways that art and other mediums of expression can really portray human feelings and connect with people in ways that clearly labeled and defined terms can never do. A picture's worth a thousand words times a million. Believe that a million percent. So anyway, I think that today's episode focused on art appreciation will hopefully leave you with that appreciation and just a lot to think about about how truly wonderful the arts are, especially when people who feel like it's not for them change their mind. So I hope I do that for you today. We are going to be talking about 17 major instances when famous works of art were featured or referenced in K-pop material. Different types of sculptures, paintings, drawings, featured in music videos, referenced in lyrics, etc. Believe it or not, I actually had to really narrow this list because there are way more art references invoked in K-pop releases than you realize. But again, it's that realization that art is all around you and you have permission to fully appreciate it that opens up a whole new world that's been sitting there and you've been taking it in the entire time. How cool is that? In no particular order, let's get to this list of big art references you need to know. The first K-pop video with lots of art references to get to. Top with Doom Dada. This video is imbued with the spirit of Dadaism, which is this thought movement, really, that corresponds somewhat with surrealist thought. Surrealism is this art form that basically focuses not just on the unconscious mind, so you have realist ones, those are the artists who will paint like a tree or something. Then some artists prefer to not paint the world as they see it, but to depict it, its inner workings, to imagine what the mechanics are behind it or the thought behind it. Surrealism goes even one step further into the psyche to basically portray the innermost essence of a thing. So not just its internal state, but even more core to its being than that. And then emphasize it. Blow it up out of proportion, focusing on that core. Dadaism was this thought movement using irrationality in place of logic. And it was a way to basically make social critiques. To critique society by kind of parodying it. And this is what inspired Doom Dada. 
In this video, there are a ton of references, The Blair Witch Project, The Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, Dr. Strangelove, Andy Warhol. Dr. Strangelove actually is an old movie basically about this Air Force general who's paranoid and thinks that countries are spreading all these pollutants, which is fitting because in this video he also features Salvador Dali's The Three Sphinxes of Bikini, a painting that shows a tree, a giant head, and an equally tall nuclear mushroom cloud. This painting actually was inspired by this series of explosions the USA conducted in Bikini actually after World War II. There were 23 nuclear tests conducted there that led to the islands being contaminated with radioactive material. Forcing 200 Micronesians to be relocated, they did return to the islands back in 1968, but they quickly realized the area still had dangerous levels of radioactivity a $100 million lawsuit was filed. We could have a whole separate podcast episode about that. But the point being, this painting was designed with this nuclear testing episode in mind and how it affects the land and people. Although it's interesting because in the painting, the mushroom cloud is closer to harming the tree before the human. Nature is going to be first to be harmed, but the humans are not far behind. He also in this video dresses like a different Salvador Dali painting, Baby Map of the World, this surrealist image from the 30s. By the way, I will link to pictures and historical context more about these images I talk about today for every artist on my monthly newsletter. So how to stand at substack.com. Stay tuned for that. I'll make it a free post. Number two, in BTS's music video for Shadow, they include an homage to Anish Kapoor's sculpture of sorts, Saviyam. Saviyam, which means self-creation in Sanskrit, is basically this mobile exhibit. It sounds gross, but hear me out, it's actually pretty cool. It's basically made of blood-red pigment mixed with Vaseline and wax. Basically, there are two rooms dedicated to a giant cannon that sporadically, randomly blasts out this goop. On the walls, it gets everywhere intentionally. It creates a mess. Or as art critics would put it, it creates form in artwork where there previously was none. The process of creating is part of the final creation and the art of it. Then there are five rooms in the gallery dedicated to this train. This train made of the same slippery, goopy stuff. This train moves under archway after archway down the single track through those five rooms. So as you see this art exhibit, you have to follow it. So you see the goop splatter, then you see a train made out of the goop go down this series of rooms. One of the art rooms you have to walk through has a bunch of mirrors that distort the image. So you basically become part of the distortion, the added mess of all this. I will leave you to come to your own conclusions about a lot of the meaning of this type of work, but I will just say there's a lot to think about with the fact that more rooms were given to the train than the cannon, the fact that the train is made of the same blobs of nothingness as the artwork around it, and you could also interpret at a deep level how you think the red goop is making a mess, ruining the scene, but so are you, because you're in the scene. You're part of the show. Your distorted mirror images make you seem out of place. What's important to know about this artist, who has been sculpting since the 70s, is that his work is known for looking like nothing while you're close up observing it or being part of it. You have to really back up and see the full picture. And that's what BTS do in the shadow video, where we see zoomed out the whole visual effect of the aftermath of the goop solidifying around the doorway. 
The video also has those broken mirrors and different doorways, a moving camera, all kind of nodding to this exhibit. Number three is another BTS video and the very thought-provoking odd art exhibit involved. In BTS's video for Spring Day, there is a giant pile of clothes, presumably used, they look used, and not super gently used either, this mountain of clothes in some scenes that the members just kind of lie on wistfully. This is an homage to Christian Bolotansi's exhibit called No Man's Land. Please hear me out. It sounds super lame, but you have to wait till I finish explaining. Then you'll, I think you'll see what the big deal is. No Man's Land is this exhibit that was in New York at the Park Avenue Armory. It was actually only the second time a massive contemporary art piece was commissioned to be held there at this specific hall. No Man's Land is a display that you do become a part of, but you do have to opt in. Because there's like this wall of metal tin boxes, and the wall is stacked up so you can't really enter the exhibit just because you are walking down the street. You have to voluntarily be someone who came to enter the exhibit, go past the metal tin walls. This exhibit features a 25 foot tall mountain of clothing. This 25 foot tall mountain of clothing is not even the whole thing. There's also a 60-foot-tall giant crane, like an arcade claw machine crane, that picks up pieces of laundry from the pile and drops them down. As it does, it also kind of forms mini piles. So basically, it's a bunch of laundry. The crane randomly picks up pieces and drops them on the ground outside of the pile, too. And that's how you're part of the exhibit, because in the format of the floor that you walk through, there are these piles of clothes and very narrow paths you can walk between the piles. Again, at first it sounds like, what a waste of resources, what is that? But let's really pause and really analyze each part of this. First of all, you pass this wall of tin metal boxes, which Boltansky chose because he said they represent an interesting mix of things. They're the kind of boxes you might hold ashes in, or time capsule type stuff, stuff you want to preserve after you pass. Or they could make you flash back to days when you were a little kid and would have little tin bins to keep little trinkets, little toys in. So these metal tins can represent, because he likes to use little metal biscuit tins, they can represent a place to hold childhood memories and memories when you're very old. That mix of childlike and adult symbols is part of the exhibit, too. You have a stack of laundry to do, being picked up by an arcade game, a crane machine. If you're a BTS fan, you're getting the connections already, I'm sure, between the symbols of youth and the symbols of adulthood that are both present. Then you've got the fact this is a bunch of used clothes. In a really interesting interview about this piece, he said, quote, I've always imagined that used clothing in a photo of somebody in a dead body are nearly the same. They're all objects related to the missing person. Also, he called the crane the finger of God or destiny, meaning it acts randomly, unpredictably, but also kind of with a purpose. So read into that what you will. He did see a lot of meaning in these clothes. These representatives of lives lived. A lot of the piles of clothes on the ground involve coats, and he said this is intentional because, quote, this is where everyone is alive. It's a little like a refugee camp, but it can be something else. The plots are where people are waiting, not in very good condition, but they are waiting. When visitors walk around, they look like parts of the piece. They look down like they are searching for someone. I want visitors to really be a part of the work, not just to stand in front of something. 
Basically, Christian Boltanski's whole thing is creating stuff like this. Massive, grand, larger-than-life art exhibits that are still oddly intimate, familiar feeling, and touching. His work is never super happy or super somber. It's just like real life. And some people, some art critics argue it's all a big memorial, a big tribute, while others view his work as the opposite of a memorial. Because it can be both things, kind of. It's presenting life as it is, a representation of life as it is, and it's also kind of preserving cherished memories and scattering them, brushing them away. There is a lot to really contemplate with this exhibit. Another fascinating quote from him. Quote, I've always been interested in trying to understand why one person survives and someone else doesn't. Most of the time you don't find answers, but what is important is to ask the question. A big issue for me is uniqueness, the importance of each piece. Yet at the same time, after two or three generations, you disappear totally. He said that after an installation's show period ends, 60 to 70% of it just goes away. And he donates the clothes to a company who says they recycle 70 tons a day. So he doesn't just throw out or put in a landfill these clothes. And his displays are meant to be temporarily present only. And when an interviewer asked him about why that was important to him, the meaning in having his pieces destroyed, he responded, quote, It is destroyed and not destroyed. Most art is only a relic. I wish mine to be more like a story or knowledge. It's not about the object. It's the story. Actually, that's a pretty good way to really, really broadly summarize BTS's music video appeal, isn't it? That it's not the objects or what they represent, so much as the greater story they tell. And how that story can take on personal meaning to you. I do have a lot more artists I will mention and talk about today who have this art in their videos and stuff, I promise. But there is another BTS one we have to talk about, because a museum is a setting for blood, sweat, and tears. The Fall of Icarus is one of the things on display. We talked about that on a BT Study Guides episode, so I won't be going into that. We still need to talk about Perseus with the head of Medusa. It's a pretty self-explanatory statue made by Benvenuto Cellini. It's this bronze sculpture with this story of Perseus in Andromeda playing out. Remember in the music and mythology episode of the show, I talked about how Andromeda was chained to a rock. Perseus saved her. This is the TLDR version. Perseus saved her. She became his queen. They married. Blah, blah, blah. That story of Andromeda's rescue and eventual happy ending is part of the art display on the panels. This art is really unique because at the time, it was quite unprecedented to have the actual base of a statue actually be such a crucial part of the whole art display, not just a practical use base, but part of the art. The statue itself shows Perseus holding up Medusa's head, which he had chopped off in the story. It was actually meant to be some sort of allegory for politics in Florence at the time, because Cellini was actually making this on request of a duke, who specifically asked for art that would reflect the same political messaging as the other art in the same piazza. And Cellini wanted to do that in his own unique way, by making it out of bronze amidst the marble statues. He also wanted to use bronze because it requires pouring metal into a cast to make something new, so it can represent this changing of forms and rebirth. Also in this video is the painting that Jin stares up at. It's a work by Peter Bruegel, The Fall of Rebel Angels. This is an oil painting from 1562 by this Renaissance artist 
And actually, at first, the museum couldn't find a signature, so they didn't know who to credit this work of art to. And eventually, they decided it must be Peter Bruegel the Younger. That was his title, Peter the Younger, because they saw Peter's signature on the back. Later, they realized it was made by Peter Bruegel the Elder. It now resides in this Belgian museum. It's a picture that's basically half heaven and half hell. The top half is heaven, painted in lots of bold colors. Bottom half is hell, painted much darker. Definitely a clear BTS connection there, if you're familiar with their story, especially at this point with the Damien influences at the time they were using of two parallel worlds mingling together by that center line. So both are kind of looking within reach. What is less directly related to BTS here, but is still a critical part of the actual art, is that it tells the story of Lucifer. And TLDR, Lucifer got kicked out of heaven because he was really prideful, wasn't following orders, didn't follow God's will, got kicked out, along with two other fallen angels. It's a scene from Revelation 12. This archangel, Michael, is viewed as the hero, main character, who helped kick out Lucifer and company, and defeated the fallen angels. Lastly, the Blood, Sweat, and Tears video features the Venus de Milo, which was also in Luna's video for Heart Attack, which is where we bring our attention now. My favorite Luna song ever, my favorite Luna video ever, Luna member Chu solo for Heart Attack. The Venus de Milo is a statue currently on display in Paris that actually was kind of discovered by accident. It was thought that a peasant just stumbled upon it, but it actually became the massively well-known around the world piece of art it is today because of an intentional, massive PR campaign, France-led. In one of the Luniverse Talk episodes, I dive into the meaning of The Little Match Girl by Hans Christian Andersen, the short story in the book Aphrodite Means Death by John Appleby, both of which were other sources of inspiration for the Heart Attack music video. Both kind of going off themes of things that are unconventional and you don't really know what's happening until later, which makes sense with given the video ending where she wakes up from a dream. So what happened and what really didn't, it's kind of the through line here. We have to talk about René Magritte now. One of the most famous works of his is a prominent part of the heart attack video. And once I start explaining it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. First, a little background on this really interesting figure in the art world. He was born in this country, kind of within Belgium, but at the time it was kind of considered its own country too, a country within a country, with artificially divided differences that led to different cultures in the North versus the South. Magritte grew up in the South, and he viewed it as so arbitrary and was called a Walloon, the people from the South, but he said, quote, there is no more reason for art to be Walloon than for it to be vegetarian. He really was a quiet kid with kind of a rough childhood, and he really retreated into art as a vessel for expression. He had a really emotional reaction to art at a very early age from a very unexpected source. He saw this crate next to a cradle. He was a little boy, saw a crate by the cradle, and that sparked something in him. Yeah, there is art all around you if you look. He just felt the sense of strangeness. Mystery. Why is the cart there? Why is the cradle there? Are they related? He had another moment of questioning and wonder when he saw his parents retrieve this balloon from the roof. That escapade also left him awestruck by the power of emotions surpassing language. Of, wow, I don't know what I'm feeling. How do I find a way to visually represent it? And he found ways to make sense of his feelings through art. 
Then he became a huge supporter of Dadaism. He also made two magazines as a collaboration with his poet and collage artist who's popular, E.L.T. Messens. And he became known for surrealism, pop art, conceptual art, minimalist work, all with kind of a focus on objects not being what they seem. Or being what they seem, but still prompting questions. Basically, he painted random stuff and then made you realize there's more than there's more feeling behind it than what it looks like. He didn't want you to psychoanalyze what he did, but he did want to stir an emotional reaction in you. His upbringing kind of really paints a picture of who he was. His art would later explore and kind of parody and call out and make fun of the arbitrary distinctions humans make among people, among places. He just called out the silliness of certain labels, basically made fun of humanity and language. So one example that I love is he has this famous painting of a pipe, and under it is this text that says, this is not a pipe. His friend played along too, Centenary, wrote, quote, Magritte is a great painter. Magritte is not a painter. He was asked to clarify what the heck this, this is not a pipe drawing was all about, and he said, quote, this is not a pipe, the famous pipe. I have been criticized enough, and yet can you fill it? She's just a performance. So if I had written, this is a pipe under my board, I would have been lying. Basically saying, hey, it's just a drawing. You can't actually use it like a real pipe. So that means it's not a pipe. He questioned the psychology, the philosophy of what a thing is, what an object is. And is it still what you say it is if it doesn't actually work in accordance with the definition? If it's a pipe, but it doesn't work, is it still a pipe? He got at similar themes in La Clairvoyance, that one's a fun painting of, the painting shows a painter drawing a bird, but the model he's looking at to paint is just an unhatched egg. Then there's, not to be reproduced, a painting also called La Reproduction Interdit, which shows a man looking in the mirror, but he doesn't see himself, he sees his back. So basically he's looking in the mirror and seeing himself looking in the mirror. All he sees is his back. This is why I find him so fascinating, because he makes you question the normal and play devil's advocate, basically, towards yourself. He makes objects question their very nature. And again, it's interesting because he really was against psychoanalyzing his work, but kind of hard to avoid that. Basically, he wanted the work to psychoanalyze itself so you didn't have to. The big famous painting that basically comes to life in the heart attack video is The Waiting Room aka the listening room, which features an enormous apple that just fills the room. Or maybe the room is really tiny. Magritte was all about taking ordinary objects and questioning everything about them, everything you thought you knew about them. Apples were actually Magritte's favorite go-to symbol, although he did have several different ones recurringly present in his work, like he also had a lot of floating rocks in his work, lots of seas, ocean. He also painted a lot with black spheres with a slit in them. Some people have interpreted that as an eye, some people view it as anatomy, some say it's nothing, and the purpose of it is to make you question everything. Just to make things extra weird, Magritte would call these black spheres in his work bells. They look nothing like bells, but he said this is a bell. But again, then didn't he just contradict himself because he insists, you know, it cannot be an eye if it's not doing what an eye does. But then why can he say it can be a bell if it can't do what a bell does? Yeah, he leaves you questioning everything. More of Magritte. Galconda is this work of art that is shown in the video for Dollar by Choiza, Primary, and Gatton. Galconda is this image of nearly identical men. 
on the bowler hats that became a signature for Magritte, looking like substitutes for raindrops. Like it's literally raining men. Rainy bowler hat wearing men, no less. The name Galconda, actually, his poet friend, Centenary, the one who said that Magritte was a great artist because he wasn't an artist, came up with the name for this one. And he called it that because it is the name of, it was the name of this city in India that was once the capital for two different kingdoms. It was the hub of the diamond industry at the time. So the word is referring to mine of wealth. Actually, this poet friend is in the image. He's near the chimney. So this one means, it's up to you to decide what it means, but the fact that people are the size of raindrops, or are you supposed to think of it as raindrops the size of people? You could also read into how much of his personal memories are in this image because the city they are floating in front of looks like the kind of urban area he grew up in. They're all wearing the type of outfit he used to wear. So you can kind of extrapolate a lot about his own life. But then again, he's back to insisting you shouldn't psychoanalyze him, so this may be my favorite painting out of everything I'm talking about today. This René Magritte painting, The Lovers 2. And this Lovers painting is featured in Lost Time, the music video by Rothie. She prominently displays in the background of this video, and this oil painting is just so thought-provoking to me. It features this couple kissing, warmly embracing, but they're kissing through white grayish cloths, veils. They can't see each other, and they're kissing passionately, but they still have that barrier between their lips, between their faces. There's actually a lot to take in with each detail of this picture, because first you have the colors, the grayish version of white, the red outfit of the woman could represent passion or anger, there are also interestingly colored walls, like four different types of color psychology going on at once. There's a blue wall, which could represent tranquility, but then you have red for anger or lust, something more energetic. There's more black in the picture than there is white. It's basically a color psychologist's dream painting. You could even analyze the man and his positioning, because more of his side profile than the woman's is in view. And he looks like he's in the dominant position, leaning down. But some say the woman is just falling back. Like he tilted her back for a dance number style kiss, and it's more romantic, less dominating than it looks. There's a lot there to think about. This came out in 1928, yet it's oddly relevant today, the way we have masks covering our faces. You could even compare it to social media filters in how, you know, you're kissing through FaceTime or whatever. It's a relevant commentary about intimacy that is eternally relevant. Do we have that sense of connection or not? And the video for Rothy's song, Lost Time Further, brings to life what this is about. Long story short, she eventually reconnects in person with a man covering his face in that kind of white cloth. And so they stand together, but then she kind of falls down. There are smoke clouds everywhere. So she's basically both happy to be reunited and not reunited, which is basically a great way to bring to life what the picture is trying to show. Enough of Magritte. Let's talk about Da Vinci. CLC prominently features references to Da Vinci throughout the helicopter video. And the whole song is meant to be this metaphor for confidence, they say, which I guess you could compare to what Da Vinci was doing. First of all, they represent this ornithopter, these white wings that Eugen wears in the video, basically a version of the mechanical bat wings Da Vinci dreamed up. He basically wanted to build a flying machine. 
Yes, if you've listened to the show a long time now and grew up on Spongebob like I did, you know what episode I'm thinking of. They also represent Da Vinci's design called Aerial Screw. The overall architecture of the set lends itself to the theme. Da Vinci is basically credited with designing one of the first predecessors before a helicopter was made. In the video, you do see Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, too, which is this drawing of a man within circles, basically meant to represent his connection to the world, his place in it, very analytically and technically. The thing about these three Da Vinci references are that they show that Da Vinci liked to focus on practicality, technicalities, mechanics. Not to read into this art the same as the other art I've talked about today. Not abstract, he really wanted to look at technically, not on a deep emotional level, but just literally how is the human form connected, contrasted to the universe? How does the human form fit into the world as we see it? And he actually, Vitruvian Man is basically his attempt to emulate this architect named Vitruvius. And that makes sense with the Sun Helicopter, which is kind of about emulating your best self, your admiration for someone who happens to be yourself. And they have lyrics about curiosity in their painting and things like that that are kind of related. Next up is one you most likely did not expect. NCTU's Baby Don't Stop. There is a song lyric in there about Rothko, Rodin, Claudel. Artist Taeyeon specifically confirmed he intentionally cited in the lyrics because he's been inspired by their work. So let's talk about them. Mark Rothko is a Russian man who actually moved to the U.S. when he was 10 and went to Lincoln High School in Portland. He sought a liberal arts degree at Yale, but ultimately dropped out. So you can handle rejection, follow your dreams, kids, whatever. He became one of the ten, a group of well-known artists at the time who considered themselves abstract painters, and his work was often featured in both Portland and New York. His whole thing was painting rectangles in different colors, and this was actually groundbreaking because he wanted to be known in the abstract art world, which is focused on messiness, you know, splatters, painting with drips and goopy stuff, and all sorts of messiness, and finding meaning in the mess. But he actually kind of changed the game because he focused on singular, isolated colors, clear, straight lines, just floating rectangles. And he even had a style named after him, basically. They call it color field painting when you adapt his style. And he found ways throughout his life to keep this more interesting and a reflection of his psyche. Like he worked with much darker colors later in life when he was much in a much sadder place. Interesting commentary. Side note, he was making way more money by then, but was much sadder. So there's another life lesson for you. But yeah, he came up with this warm color field painting category, hence why the song references fashioning you with warm colors. Obviously a much more romantic way to, and a much more sensual way to put it, than referencing a rectangle. He had a really interesting life. He gave up on some projects, like he was originally an original offer to design a mural for the Four Seasons restaurant in New York. But he went through in some other areas, like he helped design this chapel in Houston. And he would be hired for projects like that that were meant for him to invoke a certain aura, a certain sense of peace, a feeling of healing, a feeling, a strong feeling being provoked by colors and lines. Any Rothko work, the most essential thing to know is he insisted on his work being participatory. You were part of it. Kind of like Christopher Bolotansky, who we talked about earlier, he wanted you to interact with his work 
and he thought the meaning of art didn't come from his rectangles. It didn't come from what he painted for the church. It came from the church goers, looking at and physically reacting to what they saw and felt. It comes from the essence of humanity he invoked. And that's ultimately what a lot of abstract artists are trying to do, is not show you something meaningful, but provoke a meaningful response nevertheless. He actually had a very sad life, took his own life after years of depression, and then his art was divided among his family and museums after quite a nasty feud over over 800 paintings. The Claudel referenced in this lyric is Camille Claudel, a French sculptor who worked with marble and bronze. She was slammed by the public and the press because her work was viewed as inappropriate, way too sensual despite her male counterparts not really getting the same level of vitriol. She also struggled mentally because she was kind of in Rodin's shadow. She was Rodin's lover. Eventually, she actually went to a mental institution, stayed there for three decades, up until her death. She was basically Rodin's mentee. Yeah, so Rodin, the third one referenced, had her as like a student in his art mentorship workshop of sorts that he set up later on down the road in his career. But then they fell in love. Although, in this role, she was able to do things women before her were not, so yay. <laughs> like, she was able to study models of anatomy, the female body, things that women students in any area didn't really have access to, so yay, I guess. Anyway, Auguste Rodin is this French sculptor, often called the father of modern sculpture, known on focusing on sensual work, the human body, things like that which is why he's considered such a classic sculptor. That's what sculpture is often about. Its roots are in a fascination with what humans look like, what bodies look like. Here's another follow your dreams and don't give up kids story. He was rejected from three art schools he applied to. He had his first salon exhibition entry rejected and then was rejected from several competitions in London and Paris. And that was after he had become famous. He was still rejected a lot. Again, not as much as his female counterpart was, not as shamed as her, and he actually did end up with whole museums dedicated to him, so... One of his biggest scandals actually wasn't even about how inappropriate his content was or whatever, but over how good he was. People were so impressed by his work that when they saw a sculpture of The Vanquished, this bronze sculpture, they thought, it looks way too real, you cheated, you took the easy way out, you totally used a living person as the mold as you were making a cast for this. Something's up. It was just that on the nose of a design. The Institute of France also had a bone to pick with him a lot. One time his ideas caused such a fury that he just gave up. He gave the city the money back and went home. But again, there was this also intense opposite reaction. He had a banquet in his honor. He got an honorary Oxford degree. He got orders from all sorts of countries to do work for them. The next work of art we have to talk about is from Rodin, and it's this piece called The Gates of Hell that would eventually end up in the Museum of Decorative Arts in Paris. He actually didn't finish it. It had to be set up after his death, but it's his most well-known, and it inspired his other most well-known images on their own, The Thinker and The Kiss. The connection here to a K-pop video is Six, C-I-X, the boy group, has a video for Jungle, which was inspired by Dante's The Divine Comedy. And The Divine Comedy is a story that references the nine circles of hell. It talks about a soul's journey through inferno to purgatory to paradise. 
the video kind of shows that them going through different stages of hell the soul's journey is their journey and the original plan for the gates of hell artwork was to actually make a work of art based on the italian work the gates of paradise the design was changed over time, but Dante was still a centerpiece, and actually The Thinker was originally supposed to be a work of art that was just a picture of Dante himself. So his unfinished work ended up influencing some very complete stories. Let's talk about ATs and the video for Say My Name, where there is an object on the wall that resembles Niagara Falls, an art display called Niagara Falls, that is, by Valerie Haygerty. The important thing to know about this artist is that her whole thing is destroying. So she doesn't make art and find beauty and art in creation, but rather destruction. So she takes things that look pristine and smashes them. It's kind of a catharsis thing. So she has the social commentary and then destroys stuff. For example, she didn't do this, but I'm just saying, like an anti-materialism piece of hers would be like a bunch of plastic toys and dollar bills shredded and stomped on and stuff. That was her art. She often focused on these frontiers, this American dream concept she thought was a myth. So she was showing the actual outcomes of certain misguided, in her view, ideas. Views of this is the noble thing to do, conquering other people's land, etc. So in this case, she took the ship and basically caused the shipwreck. It's like if you had one of those ship-in-a-bottle displays and she destroyed the ship and replaced the bottle with like a half-open wooden thing. She grabbed a bunch of pieces from your ship-in-a-bottle display and threw them carelessly, causing them to break into a wooden holder. You'll see. It makes more sense in the picture. I'll link to it on my site. And this goes along really well with ATs and the Say My Name lyrics because their whole thing at that point in their story was starting out on a new journey and questioning if it was the right one, what are they going to do, how do they find their treasure, they've gone off course before, how do they redirect the sails in a better direction. Speaking of ATs, they have what many other K-pop artists have too, which is allusions to this staircase design. A bunch of staircases in different directions that represent something bigger. Those symbolic staircases, to me, bring to mind Relativity by M.C. Escher. Not a rapper, an artist, but a great rapper name. Relativity is this image of different staircases that go different directions, different angles, and they're basically three sources of gravity. And depending on how you tilt the image, how you look at it, who you look at, certain people, their source of gravity is different. And no matter who you look at, to them, they look unbothered, like gravity's acting normal for them. That's their normal, and they're just going about their day, walking down the street. But then, of course, to other people, that is gravity-defying to do. The overall message being that reality is relative. It really is more than you think. It's constructed, psychologically, socially. Reality is based on agreed-upon definitions, and to people in those different directions, that is their agreed-upon definition of the normal flow of gravity. That's my view of it, but there's a lot to keep in mind. You could also read into the fact each person, no matter what direction of gravity they go with, is dressed nearly identical, looks nearly identical, yet they all live different lives. You could also read into the archways in the little secret gardens of sorts on the other side of each archway. They're not just going up staircases indefinitely. There is an end point. You could read into how the staircases kind of meet up at these angles that form the impossible shape, as it's called, a Penrose Triangle. 
you could read into how certain staircases just logically wouldn't work in the way that they look with one person walking up while one person's walking down. It's kind of an optical illusion in some ways. And because there's so much you could think about, what it says about relativity, uniformity, seeking some sort of refuge for yourself, personalizing stuff, of course it's going to lend itself to usage in a ton of videos. It's very applicable in a ton of contexts. Speaking of variety, let's go back to talking abstract art with Wassily Kandinsky's Composition 7. This is on the back wall of Eyes One's video for Fiesta, and I don't think the connection is super worth reading into. I didn't think it was just meant to be an eye-catching addition to the video, but it really is a very pretty painting if you ask me. I personally really like it. Some just see a mess, but I like it. This was part of a series of releases from Kandinsky in this vein, all about ultimately what it means to make abstract art. It's a super big painting that is super colorful, lots of overlapping, random lines, colors, no real discernible shape or image, just a bunch of who knows what. But he actually made over 30 drafts of it before settling on what he did. To him, it was such a personal triumph as an abstract artist. Like, this was his moment where he felt like, this is what abstract art is all about. I've brought my vision to light. This has been brought to fruition. This idea is succeeding perfectly. He did add to the composition series later on things like geometric shapes, flowers, to later installments in the series, but Seven was it. Seven was his favorite. He wrote a book called Concerning the Spiritual in Art, and he had three main things he cited in that book, sources of inspiration. Impression, which is your impression when you first see it. Improvisation, your unexpected, unconscious reaction to what you see. And composition. The third step is what he named his series after, which is, quote, an expression of a slowly formed inner feeling, which comes to utterance only after long maturing. Translation, impression, improvisation, and then composition is your reaction after steps one and two, after you've really sat with and contemplated what you saw. The opposite of your impulse reaction. The last three we're going to go through real fast because there's just a lot you can interpret for yourself and a lot. We could do a whole podcast episode about each of these artists and this work, but I'm just going to tell you what videos to watch and reach your own conclusions, draw those connections for yourself between the artwork and the videos. Mona Lisa and some other famous art is in the video for Babay, B-A-B-A-Y, by Zion T featuring Gecko. That whole video is really fun. On the ceiling, on the walls, just to find gravity in this funhouse meets art museum, brightly colored setting. There's also a lot of beauty to see in Vincent Blue's video for It's Raining, which features Bedroom in Arles by Van Gogh. Listen to Vincent's angelic voice while looking at pretty images of shades of blue and he becomes part of the image. It's very aesthetically pleasing. Lastly, Picasso comes up a lot in K-pop, notably in Chinese song and only one of song called Picasso. Picasso is also in the artwork for Dora Mar and only one of B-side that did get an audio snippet on YouTube with a Picasso visual component. So much more. Again, believe it or not, I had to narrow this list down to 17. Again, I will link to more on each of these pieces of art on my site. I have a very exciting artist-specific episode coming out next, as well as some more Seven Fates Chaco updates, news updates, and more. So stay tuned. Lots in store. 
Hope you enjoyed this episode. If there's a prominent piece of art I didn't discuss today that you wish I would have, feel free to comment, let me know on socials or directly in the episode. If you're in Spotify, you can do that. And I can make a part two if there's enough interest. Thank you guys so much, and I will talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everyone.